The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. Registration for the Numinous School opens on June 1st. It only happens once a year and spaces are limited. Sign up for the waitlist on my website, carmenspaniola.com. I'm so excited for today's show because once again, I get to interview my dear friend, Sarah Selecki. Sarah is the author of This Cake is for the Party, which was a finalist for the Scotiabank Giller Prize, arguably Canada's highest literary award. The New York Times called her stories utterly fascinating. Sarah is also the founder of the Sarah Selecki Writing School, and I've always loved its tagline, write what you want to read. I have to admit, though, that I'm quite taken aback that Sarah's new novel, Radiant Shimmering Light, is exactly what I want to read. I mean, I couldn't put it down. I devoured it in two sittings, stopping only to sleep, and I was absolutely taken in by the story, the characters, the details, and the familiarity of this work. This world is so familiar to me that when the scenes weren't totally cracking me up, it was because they were making me really uncomfortable. Radiant Shimmering Light is going to be found in the women's literature section of your local bookstore, which is often called Chick Lit. Now, for the past 15 years, I have read almost exclusively works of nonfiction. I rarely wander the shelves of the bookstore looking for feel-good beach reads. But if you listen to this podcast, you need to buy this book. Sarah wrote this book for us. She gets us. She's one of us. She has written what we want to read, a story about us. I connected with Sarah online. She was at home in Prince Edward County, Ontario. So Sarah, what identities do you lead with? Um, I start with being a writer. And after that, a woman. Those are my leading identities. (laughs) Excellent. Awesome. So we're we're here to uh, have what I think will be a rich and um, maybe at times uncomfortable discussion about your new book, Radiant Shimmering Light. And I would like for listeners to know that you and I have known each other for like 20 years? Yeah, decades. Yeah, yeah, decades. <laughs> so this is why we can, you know, we, we can uh, <laughs> go into uncomfortable places together because there's so much love there. Uh, so I was totally delighted and uncomfortable with every page of this book. It's Mm. so fantastic, but it also hits pretty close to home. So I'd like to just give you a chance to tell me and everyone in your own words, just tell us about the plot of your book. What is the story really about? Right. The story is really about um, an artist uh, and art making and where that lies in a world where uh, we use currency, um, that where the economics is around uh, a market economy, capitalism in particular, <laughs> and um, on how how an artist makes art and makes a living really is at the basis. It's also about female friendship, 
and um, and connection of where where loneliness come where loneliness comes in in our world today. I mean, the book takes place in 2016, but um, in this world of uber connection, where um, real connections and real intimacy happens and how it can happen, especially when um, everyone, artists included, uh, are branding themselves and creating personal brand stories on social media and elsewhere in order to make a living. So the knot that the book is sort of playing with and tangling and untangling and tangling and untangling is this relationship between authenticity and, um, and connection and economy. Mm. Tell us about our two lead characters, Lillian and Eleven, and a little bit about their relationship dynamic. Sure. I mean, it's pretty mysterious to me, too. Um, Lillian and Eleven are cousins. They've known each other since they were little, little, little girls. Lillian is Canadian, and her cousin is American. And when they were growing up, um, Eleven was named Florence. Florence was Florence and, and Lillian were best friends, cousins, like you know, sisters, <laughs> friends, and um, and when they got into their young adult years, there was a family rift, and Florence kind of disappeared. She kind of went off the radar, certainly for Lillian, but she just sort of disappeared. No one really knew. Lillian certainly didn't know where she had went. And where the book picks up and where the book begins is 20 years later, when Florence comes back, but she comes back as 11. And she's uh, sort of this inter internet famous guru, leader, teacher in um, spirituality, the feminine divine, marketing, and, um, and business. The cousins reconnect 20 years later. And the relationship is the same but different. I mean, after, after they know so much about each other, they know the innermost workings of their minds and lives and they've always been there for each other in that in that extreme trust of all of those childhood years but now as adults they're 40 years old and they're getting to know each other again from who they are now and so Lillian is our protagonist the that's artist, right and 11 is this internet famous spirituality kind of guru character that's right yeah okay. So Sarah, how did you research this story? <laughs> um, how did I research the story? I did lots of stuff. I signed up for lots of newsletters. I went to lots of conferences. I got involved in the world. I got involved in, in Eleven's world. Um, but, but it's interesting for me to note that I, um, I had Eleven as a character long before I got involved in, in her world. And I didn't know what her world was. I kind of followed it. I followed it through the years. Years ago, I wrote a story about Lillian, and it's in my first book, um, and it's a story called Go Manchura. And Lillian was uh, a character I wasn't quite finished with, even after the short story. I, she kept hanging around in my head, and there was a character who she had invited to her her cottage for this pro for this party, who never arrived. Her name was Eleven, and she just never arrived. And it was this point of pain for Lillian that this very special person, this very special invited person never arrived. I did change that name from Eleven to um, Evelyn in the published version of the story, partly because 
because Eleven never showed up in the story, I felt like it was a bit of a red herring to drop that that interesting name in a story where she never comes. And I wasn't actually going to f- go and fill in those blanks in the, in those 30 pages. So I thought, take that out. Also, my niece was born the year the book came out and her name is Evelyn. So I wanted to put, slip that in there for her because that's one of the fun things you get to do when you're a writer. You have to name people and put things in that you want to. So I just wanted to memorialize. (laughs) It's one of the things I get to do. So, um, but back to the research question. Um, I wanted, I wanted to just find out more about, I wanted to find out more about 11 and Lillian was involved in the world of uh, multi-level marketing. And this was a question that I've, I've, it's just, fascinates me this like selling products to friends and like the whole Amway thing and um I mean from Amway up to but there's so many now um doTERRA doTERRA right and uh what's the face the the face stuff there's some oh yeah that yeah there's uh, uh, oh we know what we're talking about yeah we know what we're talking about the other one is our our bond our bond our bond right yeah and I mean it's it all stems I mean I don't know where it all stems from. I've got to look into that even more, but um, there is this element of like women helping women that's in some, not maybe not the Amway stuff, but certainly Arbonne and certainly this, this imaginary product, Gomentura that, that I came up with. It's really, it was about women helping women to be healthier, to be like more, I mean, this is always the thing, right? It's like we get, we get to um, help each other out and, and financial freedom is no joke for women. I mean, that's just, I mean, women, making their own money. This is an important, this is an important piece. Um, so that mixy, that all, that mixy feeling started Lillian's journey. My research went on to follow Lillian and then to like, look up who is this 11? 11? 11's her cousin. She hasn't talked to her for 20 years. So I just sort of followed where 11 might be and started imagining what if she was a super powerful, really connected, really sparkly, like got the mojo woman. The other question I had um, that I wanted to follow up with in my research, just by like my research is my version of research is like pretty intuitive based. It's not, I don't really go to the library unless I, I mean, sometimes I do, but it's really just like following my nose. Um, And the other thing that I was like wanting to follow my nose on was what happens when, I mean, we, we know, (laughs) we know in so many, especially now we know in so many um, institutions where a man is in power, especially a spiritual community, sometimes that power can be misused and, um, and, you know, trouble, there's some trouble there. There's some trouble when there's like absolute power uh, given to a man in a spiritual community. There's a lot of, with that, with the feelings of devotion and power comes, you know, some corruption or just some confusion and certainly some like misuse of power. And this is like a kind of a time honored thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing that I wanted to follow with my imagination is like, what happens if that person is a woman? What happens if that person is like, what happens if the, the person with absolute power is a woman? When a woman is in power, where, how is that power misused and how is it different? Like it's, it's, so often the power is misused sexually um, in other institutions and organizations, but what if it's not sexual, but like, what does that look like? I just wanted to see, what does it look like? And where, and, and where are those, where are those lines? Um, mm-hmm. So my research was really in looking at women and power and money and spirit and connection and friendship because so much of women and power lies in the 
emotional relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where my, that's how I researched it. Just really getting into that channel. Well, and um, I have to say, Sarah. <laughs> Are you feeling, unco- is this one of those moments that you're feeling uncomfortable? <laughs> I, well, you know, a little, as I read the book, I, I got the manuscript and I opened it up and right here, Sarah, right here on the first page is a reference to something that, <laughs> okay, I'm going to read Okay, what? Read it. What? I don't even know. It. I don't know. This I don't know what you're where- laughing at. Okay. Okay. The eye tour is a gathering of souls, like-minded women who are quenching their thirst for life, life and love. Women just like you who know deep in their hearts that they're meant to live a life they love, doing something beautiful and real. Sarah, you literally came to my retreat called oh, right. The Gathering, gathering of, of souls. souls. Right, I did. <laughs> right. right. I was like, what? I of wrote course, that room. would feel personal. Really? <laughs> I actually have a list and I just think for listeners, this could be kind of funny. So page one, gathering of souls. I was like, um, this is, so I, I want to kind of let people in the beginning of each chapter of the novel is a sales letter. So it's like an email, a newsletter. So this one is sort of to Lillian, like Lillian has subscribed to Eleven's newsletter. So each chapter opens up with this marketing piece. So page one, it's a marketing piece. I literally have written an email almost exactly like this about my retreat called The Gathering of Souls. Then page 76, there's this whole meditation, bee seaweed. For fuck's sake, Sarah, I just did. Oh, the bee seaweed thing, you know? Oh, yeah. That's a thing. That's a thing. (laughs) That is a thing from (laughs) radical embodiment, whatever. Um, 81, page 81, there's a line that Lillian says about this other woman at this big event. She says, screaming is in her genius zone. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, that is a program that, right. from a person I know. Right. Uh, later on, uh, describing a, a new form of exercise, soul core is a right. holistic workout that combines ballet, belly dance, and kettlebells. I laughed that, that, well, not exactly <laughs> Almost exactly that. My dear friend has like, that's her whole thing. Of course, page 228, uh, at Carmen Spaniola mentioned you in a tweet. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure I was off Twitter by then, but I might not have been. I don't know. You mentioned the sedge sofa. I literally, oh, when I had my store, eco-friendly home furnishings, I sold a line of furniture with a sedge sofa that was FSC certified wood, natural latex, you know, Ocotex certified. I have the chair at my house. I might have been sitting in it as I was reading this book. Then getting further into an actually like pretty, um, you know, it's something that kind of gets mentioned a few times, the forest sanctuary ritual. Right. Right. Sarah, we okay. were on retreat. We that <laughs> Of all the lists of the entire list so far... Well, aside from putting your name in it, because I thought that would be fun and nice to do. It was totally um, awesome. It was great. Aside from that, that is the only thing that I like knowingly, consciously like wrote, fictionalized something that I had experienced. But the, uh, oh, I wow. mean, that, I feel actually quite honored by that now then. That, yeah, that was, that was really, that was important and, um, and was, and it's really key. I mean, that part in the book, that's a really key turning point for Lillian. Mm-hmm. Um, something mm-hmm. happens in there that, that. Well, I will, but something really unexpected happens to her in there and it changes the course of the book and it changes the course of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but other than that, Carmen, the rest of this, and that's just, okay, that's your list, right? Um, yeah, 
I can't imagine a person reading this who's in this whole spiritual online right. marketing world who doesn't also read it and feel a little exposed. Right. And but here's the weird thing. Here's the weird thing. I've been writing this book for about five years. And a lot of the stuff that you mentioned is not like either isn't in my conscious in, in my conscious, probably in somewhere in my subconscious because I'm in this world. But a lot of it, I was writing it, seeing what was happening like five years ago, sort of seeing what was happening in the world and in this world and being like, wouldn't it be cool if like, okay, what if I turn this up? Like what would happen if people started meditating over these chocolates and then the chocolates became this kind of conscious food that you'd eat on another level? What if, what if people started like taking these crystals and like grinding up the crystal powder and like putting it into face creams and then having like rose quartz in your face cream? What if, like, and just like, I was trying to make a book that was happening and the language and everything, I was trying to heighten all of that to make it to this sort of beyond like otherworldly beyond like I wanted it to yeah, be like hyperbole hyperbole and just in the near future what I wanted my I was picturing this book coming out and everyone reading it and being like wow if we keep going like this this is what it could be like <laughs> and <laughs> and now out, as it turns out it's historical back. fiction as it <laughs> turns out as I as I was writing it and the things were like happening I mean there were there were taglines that I was writing that I was like in my imagination being like right like eating these chocolates, like, because your body is a temple. This is great. And these are taglines that I've seen now, like app, that, that in particular, I was writing the, I was writing the part about conscious chocolates and like writing the, the newsletters for the sales emails for these conscious chocolates that Eleven co-creates with a, with somebody else. And, um, it's this new product line, really spiritual collect, like collect, shop the whole collection of milk chocolate and dark chocolate and get it all. <laughs> and like soon afterwards saw another tagline in one of the newsletters that I subscribed to that was also because your body is your temple, another body related item. And I'm like, God damn it. Like <laughs> what is happening? Like what is happening? And I, and I had a bit, that was like a mo that was a crisis moment for me thinking like, can I be doing like, what am I doing? How can I do this? How do I get, what is it? Is, why, why am I even doing this if this is even happening? Like I was, the real life, the real world was catching up to me fast, fast. Yeah. And in the past two years, writing the draft, in the last year of the draft before this came out, I had to change all the dates mm. and uh, restructure the entire story to 2016 because I had to stop and I had to make this historical fiction. Because right. I you couldn't. could never stay ahead of it. Uh -uh. You could never uh -uh. even, yeah. No. Yeah. So, okay, this book covers themes like you mentioned capitalism, but also, you know, social media addiction, orthorexia, mm. like that fixation, yeah, yeah. Food, anxiety, narcissism, yeah. <laughs> heteronormativity, guru <laughs> culture, you know, kind of rape culture, power dynamics, like feminism, yeah. the whole thing, right? And so yeah. I'm very curious, like, how are you, Sarah, doing? Feeling, yeah. yeah, like, how are you feeling? You've, having written a story that's so clearly an amalgamation right. of today's top internet marketers, leaders in their field, some of them your friends, yeah. and the students and followers that, like, emulate their brand building formulas, yeah. right? It's yeah. so many of us. It's so pervasive. How yes. are you feeling now? Yeah, I'm feeling... I'm feeling better uh, now than I was like, like just before, like now that it's happening and it's out and I get to have these conversations, I feel so much better. Like now talking to you feels so much better. I feel great. I feel like I have 
I have the kind of mind that doesn't compartmentalize. So it's not surprising to me that like my publisher in the States was like, well, Sarah, it's an ambitious book. It kind of has everything in it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, ambitious isn't a dirty word. Reese Witherspoon said it. Um, but uh, my, my brain does my, I have, I, I, it's like a bowl of noodles and all the noodles are touching the other noodles. And I can't like look at one thing without the other. It's all there. It's like, it's all there when you're looking at the divine feminine, like, where does that, where does that put a trans person in this world? Like, where does that, that is a question. That is like, that's, a, that's a valid question for me. I need to put that in there. I mean, I had to stop somewhere. I, the book is about what the book is about. And I, and I had to stop at 400 pages. Everybody right. told me so. But but how am I doing? Yeah. Like, well, I, I mean, I, so I hear you saying you're doing well and, and I believe you, I think now that you get a chance to ex, like not explain, but, um, expand on these ideas, it's, there's probably a lot of relief. And yeah. I would really love to ask you about some very specific parts. Now you brought up, uh, the transgender character. So tell me about Yumi. Hmm. Yumi, I love Yumi. Yumi is one of my favorite characters in the book. And I feel like if I go further, Yumi is the person, now Yumi is the person who I'm most interested in now at the end of this mm -hmm. book. And maybe I could do this leapfrogging thing. Yumi is an artist um, who uh, uses the pronoun they. And, and Yumi, uh, Yumi is just like pure love. And I don't know if you got that from, but I, I tried to write Yumi as just pure love. But Yumi also doesn't exist within the same world, even though Yumi is an artist and they work with their hands and they're working and they're, you know, they have their clients and they have their client base and they're still very much involved in the economy. Um, Yumi's kind of not, Yumi's not invited to Eleven's party because Yumi's mm -hmm. not female, like doesn't identify as female. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, but Yumi and Yumi loves Lillian deeply like Yumi may be I don't, I don't I don't I don't know how much of the plot I'm not used to talking about the plot I don't want to spoil anything but well, I do think I so go ahead go ahead well I felt Lillian really failed Yumi yeah. in this book and yeah. we never get the satisfaction of reparations or even hearing Yumi's side of the story so I'm very pleased to hear that Yumi's still kind of a, alive within you so mm. in your mind where is Yumi now in their life like two years right. um I think I can say post-surgery like yep. there's post-surgery you know, yeah yeah so two years post-surgery if you could imagine what Yumi's up to could you oh my tell gosh me? I've already I written Yumi's relief. wedding like oh. Yumi yeah no Yumi's Yumi's married totally happy married to um a transgendered person from mohawk nation <laughs> and uh making art and like living like partly in the city and partly in the country oh and, hooray yeah 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 so like totally like yumi was like um the relation the the, the way lillian broke that relationship uh was you know yumi healed from that and um and it was actually like good, like good, good learning happened from there because oh. Yumi was holding uh, a real torch and um, space for Lillian that I don't think Lillian really deserved or was, or was you know. Yeah. You know. I agree. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That was good. I mean, I, I love I, Lillian. I love Lillian, but yes. she's like, you know, we, she's, she didn't do that well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yumi was not well met in Mm-mm. that relationship. Mm-mm. Why was it important that Lillian was a 40-year-old virgin? Yeah. Yeah, great question. I don't know. It really was. <laughs> it really was important. Um because I tried because it, it felt funny and I took it out a few times and I was like, nope. That's got to be there. I think because it's puzzling. I think because it shines a light on another thing that we don't look at and think about. I think just because I just want to talk about the stuff that nobody talks about, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't want to make assumptions. I just, I just don't. I'm just interested in the places where things aren't as they seem. Mm-hmm. And um, also just in more of a like, <laughs> because as like the, you may know, you'll, you'll know this because of the work you do and anyone listening who's been to the space of the subconscious, whether as an artist or a writer or otherwise, uh, just like being involved in dream states alone. Um, there's this whole other level that happens when you open up a world where you pay attention to your subconscious and give it the reins and you are like, you're smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Stuff that I, like, I can't know this stuff. So I'm never going to get to anything transformative unless I give you the reins. So you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then the stuff that comes up as while I'm writing, this is, this is one of my favorite parts of writing is like seeing all of those glimmers and seeing, seeing what my subconscious knows that I don't know. And Mm. the subconscious speaks to me in images, mostly like dreams. And so writing this book is a lot like dreaming. Like writing is a lot like dreaming, a lot like dreaming. You get, you get an image and then you put it down and you don't question it. And then later you can maybe look at it and roll it around and see what facets are there and what shape is there from this image and how it may what it might mean or mm-hmm. how it may shine to you in the conscious light. And Lillian being a virgin was one of those pieces where very late in the, in the game of writing the book, um, there is this, there is this a transcendent message. I mean, I know that there's ascendancy, which is the name of Eleven's special program. Um, and it is called ascendancy. And there's a lot of talk about rising up to be your highest self. Um, and there is something transcendent that does happen, maybe not in the way that, is expected. It might be unexpected, certainly unexpected for Lillian. But when I was writing that place and writing towards that place, um, interestingly, I came across some uh, some short pieces about looking looking at Vestal Virgins in Greece mm. and reading about. I also was reading one of there were a lot of books that that helped me um, kind of find my way through through writing this book. And one of them was a book called Spinster by Kate Bullock great book also about like women who aren't in the in the role that um external an externally uh positioned patriarchal world culture would put on them mm-hmm. um spinsters being the name i mean yeah just like read the book it's <laughs> awesome it's great it's great it's great but i started to think of lillian as a spinster but like as like reclaiming the word spinster or reclaiming the idea of spinsterhood and her her being a virgin was part of that like she's sort of was separate from everybody else in this world um, mm. and mm. was uninterested in that and not, not because just uninterested like what if it's not a problem to be a virgin like what if that's not something that what if that's not a problem to be fixed what if that's not like a problem to be fixed basically mm-hmm. yeah it's what so interesting <laughs> I was I was pretty conflicted about it at first mm-hmm. though I hear what you're saying now and I appreciate this um additional information because part of me wondered if, you know, did she have to be a, a, a virgin in order for the betrayal, mm. uh, you know, with the, um, yoga teacher, right. 
male character in order for that to be like super poignant. Um, But I could also, I was also wondering if maybe, you know, there is so much uh, um, that is very female centered and, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all pretty exclusionary if -hmm. you don't totally buy into that binary. So, you you know, even if you're just a little femme of center, you would feel pretty uncomfortable because there's so much of the kind of divine feminine is... Mm -hmm. Not that it's biological determinism, but it can be. And so I sort of wondered, oh, this is interesting. How, Mm -hmm. if so much of the discourse is about claiming um, female power or sexual power or, you know, wielding beauty, there's quite a theme here of Mm -hmm. wielding beauty and imagery. Mm -hmm. And and, and again, and it's very white and heteronormative and and that's never explicitly said. It's just like perfectly woven in. I mean, you you know, this is such a visual. Visually and emotionally rich narrative environment to inhabit. Mm. It's like you just, it's so on point. Thank you. Um, now, Lillian also can see auras. And as yeah. you described it, I was almost having like synesthesia, the way you wrote about seeing <laughs> auras. And I wondered, Sarah, do you auras? <laughs> No, but as I imagined it, I started to imagine that I could. I mean, that's the thing. It started to be quite trippy. I had to figure out how to describe it so that it would be real for anyone reading it. Mm-hmm. So that mean like everything. I mean, if I'm describing how peppermint tea tastes, I have to like, I have to be there with the peppermint tea in order to describe it in a way that without cliche, without like, so a way that this is, this is my, this is my game as a writer. This is what I live for. This is what I love. Like without relying on language in the way we normally do, which is just like, word just assume that it means meaning like separate the word from the meaning is a little bit semiotic here but separate the word from the meaning and then there's this play space that you can work with in between where a word can mean anything if you imbue it with meaning and emotion so the way i write and the way i teach people to write is to like imbue your words with the emotion which means feel them in your body embody that embody that as much as possible and then write it through the English language, but not using English the way you normally do, where it's like naming concepts. Instead, you're using language while you're feeling a feeling, or mm-hmm. seeing a color, mm-hmm. or smelling a smell, or you know, lying on a texture or something. Mm-hmm. So our imagination is super powerful, and when you can go into that place, it really does imbue it. That something's transmitted. There's a transmission, and the mm-hmm. language is just like the the wiring for the for the transmission it's not the meaning itself mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i had to learn <laughs> i had to learn how to feel as if i was seeing color around everything mm-hmm. and and it's play i mean this was the most playful part one of the most playful parts of writing this book was like imagining colors around things and then you mm-hmm. know when i started to really imagine it <laughs> you'd be like yeah okay i could see pink hovering around <laughs> there sure and then and then like sure I could what if it would the, the key then of course was like getting it out of that dream state and getting it locked down into some kind of logical format so that a rational human being reading it would understand that this is real and not just yeah. it, I don't want you to I didn't want you to read someone's dream right it's so it's right. so boring like that there's no can't do that right. so then I made rules around the auras and how animal auras would be and how auras around other things and what they would, and I had to keep those consistent. So it was, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't see auras, but like, why not? I mean, if you imagine that you can, sure. 
Well, and I was buying what you were selling there, what you were writing, you know, I was <laughs> okay. like, yeah, this is like having synesthesia and, right. and, it, and it was very, um, uh, consistent. And so that willing suspension of disbelief is much more accessible. And I, I actually thought well, this is a really good kind of training manual because, <laughs> you know, stuff that I've been trying to get people to do, this actually seemed, um, like a, a yeah, a really nice sort of portal or, or just you got to immerse yourself in that. It kind of kept weaving into the book in different ways and kept layering on itself. And so it, it kind of got stronger and stronger. I thought it was like almost a good little how-to manual. Now, can we, can we talk about stress? for a moment. Yeah. Yeah, Let's sure. It's a nice okay. time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a scene where Lillian um, has gotten this new sort of um, company issued phone and there's an app called to do. Mm -hmm. I want to read you this, this, uh, okay. I, I was so like activated and alive with resonance <laughs> and reading this. Okay. Yeah. At times in the past when I've been around, you know, launch mode or yeah. opening up my new store or it, not just internet marketing, but just anything where you're going to put something out into the commercial market. Yeah. There's so much admin. There's so yeah. much planning. And especially if you're going to make it look really seamless and sort of right. package it beautifully. So here is, uh, here are the lines. I open to do and look over my list of tasks for the day and my spine becomes ice cold liquid metal. The list is infinite, specific, detailed, crucial, and unfinishable. <laughs> I just got chills. Yeah. Oh, God, like I feel a little sick. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, you know, what was your experience? Mm. You and I have both got mm -hmm. um, online mm -hmm. uh personas, mm -hmm. you know, we, we both have a presence as, you know, public figures that are in very niche slices of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. that means that you have That's a fair. lot of asking and you have a lot of, um, interactions and, and yeah, it, it's like really it's infinite, specific, detailed, crucial, unfinishable and, uh, public. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? like, you've got right. your private stuff to do, but there's also this, yeah. I'm like, I am out there kind of flailing at the end of a branch here. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to know, like, have you experienced that? That <laughs> and, Yes. And around your, yeah. how, how have you figured out how to manage that? I, I, I have and I haven't. Um, have I figured out how to manage it? Well, well, Carmen, <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm just laughing because it's, it is, I'm, I'm just having a really super meta moment right now. I guess this is my uncomfortable moment um, by writing. So here, mm -hmm. let me, let me back up. Like my, I think the way out is there are things that are the way out of this admin and, and, and they are like, in no particular order, like nature, uh, creativity, um, sex, sleep, like, and those things are probably not even that unrelated, right? Like the things that aren't mm -hmm. part of this system. Um, and for me, art making is an antidote. It's making art is an antidote to it. And what happens when I make art and by me, I'm saying making art, it could be like dance, like, there are places in our life where time stretches. For me, it's writing, where 
it doesn't matter what's on my list. If I take 10 minutes to write, I could go through a portal and like go through Narnia and be back in 10 minutes, but feel like I went somewhere completely different. Mm -hmm. That's my only way out. That keeps me sane. I'm really, really grateful that I have writing and reading and, and art. I mean, when I, when writing and reading, when I'm, when there's a problem in my, in my writing, I go to like, I don't know, journaling. And when I, when the words aren't coming in journaling, I go to doodling. And when, when hand can't make a doodle, then I just like go to, you know, cutting stuff out of magazines and gluing it on a piece of paper, like something making stuff with my hands that mm-hmm. has, that, that is um, not for a purpose, not for a uh, bottom line, but for the act of um, curiosity and connection to a creative source. Mm-hmm. So makes sense that <laughs> that's why I'm smiling. It's like I feel super exposed. Yes, I feel that way. I feel that way a lot. And my my way to handle that is to write about it. Like write a book about it. <laughs> I guess. I mean, the, I really relate to Lillian on that. And and I feel like um, you know, Lillian's not. Uh, Lillian has all sorts of other stuff going on and that I don't relate, that I don't have, and I don't relate to, that I'm imagining, um, that makes her very different from me. But in that piece where she has this infinite, crucial, unfinishable list of things to do, I mean, I think we all, I think we all do. (laughs) I think we all do, not just people who are running their own business and working with people online. I think any parent knows that feeling. I think anyone um, trying to clean up the environment knows that feeling. I think... (laughs) I think we all know that feeling right now in many Mm -hmm. ways. Absolutely. Uh, Let's talk about another feeling. I think many of us are feeling more and more, and that's like anger, Mm. frustration. So there were two scenes. They sometimes happened over multiple multiple episodes um, or or in different ways. But I'd like to share with you two spots that seemed related. Uh, One is when Eleven encourages Lillian to publicly call out Mm. the famous yoga teacher who Mm -hmm. betrays her. And the second was during the mirroring process, which is kind of a turn it back on yourself, um, verbal kind of verbal gymnastics, which is a Brit, uh, you know, it, it's a pretty common um, technique used in a lot of different um, traditions, e- even a little bit of like um, dialectical behavioral therapy, the let's change that thought around kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually both of those scenes struck something pretty old in me. Like they just reminded me of old fashioned peer pressure, mm. you know, and I, and I found it kind of scary and uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I could remember times I've witnessed these types of techniques at workshops and personal development retreats, yeah. you know? And I mean, I just saw, a. Uh, something, a a little clip of Tony Robbins in an exchange with a woman who was like, I think you're mischaracterizing the Me Too movement. And it becomes just the physical dominance and the, it was was like a very conflated, and I was so angry I couldn't finish. So that was like quite a, um, uh, a, that was a a much more um, visceral scene than what you've been writing here. You, You are so good at writing the subtle ways the power gets manipulated mm. in personal development scenes. So like, okay, aside from writing an expose novel, 
<laughs> like, how do you manage the challenge of knowing people? Again, some of them are mm. your friends who maybe sometimes use questionable strategies, formulas, techniques to help people right. rise and ascend to their personal best. Right. You know, I'm just really curious about it. I'm really, really, really curious because, because, um, you know, I come from a, I come from a different, like my academic background is in cultural studies and, um, some of my best teachers, I mean, the, the work in cultural studies, it's like theory, very theoretic post-structuralist theory. It's like, like Derrida and, <laughs> um, <laughs> like Foucault and opening. And I, I, I trained when my, when I was in my early twenties, my, my mind exploded with teachers who were like helping me crack open what I assume to be real and look at all the ways in which all the other facets and other ways to look at it. And just to see like, this is, this was how um, I learned how to be culturally aware. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, that process was not easy. And I'm really aware that, that te teaching sometimes crosses a line of comfort. I mean, you have to get out of that comfort zone to learn and change. I mean, change comes with a lot of discomfort. And so I, like, I love good teachers. I love good teachers. I love going into the uncomfortable place. And the question of who to trust with your most vulnerable self and inner mind, like it comes up. It just comes up for me and I'm curious about it. I think I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Tony Robbins thing. I mean, that I just saw that too. Oh my God. Like it's happening. <laughs> um, but 11 is not Tony Robbins. Mm -hmm. And 11 cares deeply for Lillian. This is the thing. Like 11, 11 is um, urging Lillian to call this teacher out publicly. And I have to say also like when writing this scene, this was such a super, it was such a difficult, like such a charged scene to write. Like writing this whole part of the book was like, ah, I need a lot of support. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. Can I get away with this? Um, mm -hmm. uh, this, this again, this was written years ago. This was written before the Me Too movement. All of this, this was, I think I was processing Jim, some Gianga Meshi stuff at the time oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, trying to think about how that would look. And I, I wanted to set this up in a, in a way that, um, like that showed the, the way, uh, that showed the care that, that Eleven had for Lillian. Like Lillian, Eleven really wants what's best. For Lillian, and she's doing this in a world, a very uh, a world that feels really safe. So Eleven feels safe. She feels safe about the person. Eleven does. She feels mm -hmm. safe about the world that she's created. She feels she's created this safe community, this safe space where everyone belongs. Um, and she thinks that. Yes, That's what I, I she love thinks that. Yeah, <laughs> she thinks that. She really, really does. And she's done. And she's like come through so much in her life to create this space. She has some blinders. She has some like, you know, there's some blind spots, but this is her, she is not, manip she would, she's not, not manipulating. I've got finger flexions, air quotes. Okay. <laughs> she's like caring, she's teaching, she's coaching. And, mm -hmm. um, and 
and in my imagination, the world that Eleven was living in was a safe place. So in my imagination, you know, this person who she's going to send it to, this editor for Whale Mind magazine, was a total caring, like, maternal, like, good mother figure. And this was going to go out in a community where I imagined what would happen if, <laughs> what would happen if a woman wrote a call-out letter and was open about a betrayal and spoke out against someone who was a very popular leader, male leader in a, in a community. <laughs> what would, what if? What could that be like? What if that <laughs> happened and, and her life wasn't ruined because like, what if that happened? And well, her life ruined is, I mean, whatever. It's, it's a turning point. It's a changing point. But what if she was met with positivity? This was my, like, what if that was acceptable? Was my, like, <laughs> my imaginary. Um, and what would it take, like, what line, what would it take to, to upset the status quo mm -hmm. to make so that you possible? Have, you have a lot of questions about it. Yeah. And the book doesn't totally resolve with answers, right? I like, don't so think I can, like, I still have questions. Right. I, I still so have questions. But you just said, she's teaching, she's coaching. Yeah. And to me, I think, whoa, <laughs> let's, whoa, slow that down. Right? right? Like, do right. you see a difference? And, and so right. again, I think we could just ask a lot of questions. What is teaching? What, what is, is teaching? Coaching? What is coaching? You know, yeah. should we be more explicit about this? You know, because yeah, that's a tricky one. Where, how do you bring someone out of her comfort zone? How do you show, like, how do you teach by inspiring? And how do you teach by... Uh, by suggestion, how do you teach? Like this, how do you teach by challenging? And yeah, right. And mm -hmm. and when it's a woman who you admire so much, like, like that's the thing in their relationship. There's there is a power dynamic in their relationship. It's not the same. It's not the same as Tony Robbins. Um, mm -hmm. There's a different power dynamic at play here. But this one is about like friendship, intimacy, belonging, being seen, like, like, well, you know. and more than that, though, because Lillian become Lillian gains power by through the reflected glow of being related to 11. So there's proximity to power there too, right? Like it's yeah, uh -huh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Let's kind of move. Okay. I, I, we don't want to do any plot spoilers. Okay. So here's my best attempt. At, okay. At like, okay. So in the end, Lillian reclaims some agency, but she does so in a way that still seems to endorse the very strategies that nearly crushed her. Mm -hmm. I feel perplexed. Mm -hmm. The end is kind of ambiguous. It's mm -hmm. good. It's, it's also mm -hmm. no, no, stop doing that. What say you, Sarah Selecki? I know. It's really hard to talk about this without taking people through it. Um, let me see. Let me try. Um, okay. So the themes, of the, the themes of the book, as I understand them <laughs> so far, are, <laughs> uh, are like the dangers of resting or becoming too comfortable in um, stasis or duality or... Uh, or yeah, duality, let's just say, um, that trying to, trying, trying to um, win at success in a world that doesn't allow for um, mystery, the unknown, the, like, the, the, the curious mysteries of the world, don't, like trying to pin those down in a marketing scheme will never work. Mm -hmm. um, and yet there are so many beautiful 
like mysteries and curiosities and like love filled moments of the world that are up, that are, that are up and are trying to be co-opted. Like, like, like uh, co-opting is happening. So the, there, there is like a marketing is, marketing is, can co-opt everything now, everything. I mean, everything is for sale. Um, and something happens when you try to pin down something that's alive and put it into something uh, that's boxed up for sale. It, 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 it won't, it won't fit. Something happens to it. And at the same, but then something, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Well, at the same time, there's a lot of good that I don't want to lose. I mean, if we just, because everything's for sale, doesn't mean we're left with nothing. It means we need to be more creative. It means we really need to be more creative and we need to touch upon that thing that cannot be, uh, that cannot be named, let's say. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's an irrepressible quality to it, which, which is illustrated in some of the final lines of the book, that the mystery, the mystery is yeah. really what seems to win. Yes. And the antagonist is not Eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, Eleven is notably absent from the final scene. She is. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you imagine there. she was? I was like, what? Mm. I, I want to think good things here. Yeah, so good. But, but I, I also good kind, of, I kind of don't totally want to let her off the hook. I want her to have mm-hmm. some friction too, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, let's mm-hmm. do this again. Where do you imagine Eleven was in that final scene? And where <laughs> do you think she is now two years later? I don't know if I want to say that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say, it. but it is, okay. it's, it's not, uh, like she, I don't, someone said that, she, that, and I, that she, like that she ended her life. Like someone read that as like, oh my God, she, she's oh. gone. She's gone. That's not, I hope that's not what you think. Cause that's not what I want no. to think. I no. think, um, there is like some room for you to imagine. Eleven is doing what Eleven has done before. Eleven is a Phoenix and <laughs> you know, she, she, <laughs> she died and will rise again. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there, there is, she's renamed herself once already. She's reinvented herself countless times. I mean, one that we know of um, mm-hmm. this, this reinvention. I mean, she, that's one way out. I mean, you ever get, Eleven's at that point. Um, her energy is shifting. She feels something coming. Um, I don't know exactly where she is, to, mm. to be true. I don't know where she is. Two years from now, I don't know where she is. But I know that she's being, she's being not Florence, not 11. She's not mm. 11. She's not 11 anymore. She's left Florence behind. She's not Florence anymore. And she's still searching. She's searching. And the thing that she can't do that Lillian ended up doing was like integrating something of the mystery and surrendering to it mm. um, within this culture that we live in. And this is the mm. difficult thing. I mean, this is the thing that's like, it's paradox. It's like there's shadow and light. There's no, you can't, the, we're here on earth. <laughs> we're here, we're mortal beings. We're using currency. We're in this, like there, there are horrors. There is magic. This is all real. And um, to try to uh, box it up, package it, or you know, escape it, you know, there is no escape. There's no escape. And 11, mm-hmm. 11 is still looking for her way to make it all good. Mm, yeah, I was hoping, you know, my thought was if she's, you know, if she's really a fulsome character, for me, she's hopefully grieving 
Mm. and hopefully feeling uh, a bit confused mm. by this, you know, kind of being not flooded. I, I don't imagine 11's ever flooded with emotion, but that there's some grieving happening. And somehow through that uh, confusion, there is a uh, shift away from needing to control yeah. all of the details, yeah. you know, yeah. and just surrendering to something else. Yeah. So yeah. would you say there's a message in here for internet marketers who promote what mm. uh, our mutual friend Kelly Deals would call the female lifestyle empowerment brand? Because right. I know that people are going to think you've got a message. I know. But people I mean, really want me to have a message. People uh -huh. really want me to have a message. And this is not, this is fiction. This is a work of fiction. And mm -hmm. um, I, what I want, what I want is for us to have these conversations. I just want us mm -hmm. to talk about, I want to talk about this, this situation we're in. And mm -hmm. um, there's no message other than just like, let's look at it. Like, let's look at, let's be real mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And like, he, uh, message. No, you know, my editors asked for one too. I um, love that you're just like, Burp. Not you know, I didn't write, I'm not writing self-help. This is not a book of self-help. I don't have, uh -huh. I don't have, I don't have an out. I don't have like a four-step way to like, I don't, I don't have an outline and like a method for you to yeah, follow read my it, method, make read it better. and make my life better. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I think what fiction does, it does make you, it, you do read fiction. I mean, I read fiction and it does make my life better because I don't feel alone. I mean, that's, that's why I, that's why I came to books as a very young kid. And, and that's why I started writing them as, as a girl is when you read something and you feel seen, you know, you realize you're not alone. And that does make your, that does make things better, but not in the way, not, not in the way, maybe a message. I mean, any message can just be, no, I don't have a message. No, no. Well, and it, it doesn't make you feel less alone in the way that, um, uh, a personal development self-actualization product makes you feel <laughs> right. less about, right? nothing makes you lonelier than that right yeah totally yeah. oh well said yeah. now uh it's so interesting because also you know in the book Lillian does have a bit of a breakdown obviously that's mm -hmm. that's kind of you know plot <laughs> something's mm -hmm. gotta happen yep and it was so interesting because I I, I can't personally relate to how she lived in her life and kind of the amount of um, anxiety and that, and that sort of thing. Though I do, you know, of course, um, I, I have tons of clients who, who I imagine that's their inner sort of self-talk. Mm -hmm. And yet, this is what's so beautiful about fiction. You're so immersed in this very um, precise and accurate world that it's very believable. So I feel like I'm I'm less mm. alone, even if this character is quite different from me. And you mentioned yeah. that earlier that there's a whole bunch of stuff about Lillian that's like totally not, you know, it's fiction. You're a writer. This yeah. is what you make yeah. it up. Um, but in the midst of her breakdown, you know, there, there there are a lot of emotions, and the ones, you know, she never kind of really gets angry <laughs> about no. stuff and the grief even it it's like fatigue or um hitting a breaking point but also i didn't feel like there was like mm -hmm. moments of profound grief and i'm just curious mm -hmm. um not about lillian but just about you personally this kind of there weren't a lot of clues and so i'm just curious how do you sarah perhaps aside from writing 
cope with grief and rage. <laughs> Those really intense and kind of more um, um, sometimes challenging or difficult emotions for many people. Well, I go on retreat led by my friend Carmen Spaniola, <laughs> who teaches me how to draw a quadrant in the sand <laughs> and feel the feelings. Um, no, really, uh, that like the work you do is really helpful in that. Mm, thank you. Um, because writing is my go-to, and uh, and sometimes, sometimes when that doesn't, sometimes like feeling through the characters or feeling through the words, it just, the feelings don't need like, it's like sometimes I just want it without the language. Mm -hmm. And um, or another place, another place for me that is like always uh, a rock solid place that I can, that I can go in times of grief, anger, or um, fear, or as you taught me, confusion, which is another, another form of suffering. Um, <laughs> is meditation it's it's buddhism mm. i just i go to buddhism it's um it's not unlike there are there are ways that my work as a writer overlap with um some buddhist thought and buddhist teaching and mostly just in that like looking at your mind so seeing that you are not that and that there is um and then the question of like wait if you're not that then who's feeling that and that mm. whole aspect which um I find really it is very soothing, not in that it takes the feeling away, but that it connects me to something deeper than the feeling mm. um, and helps me feel the feeling while not feeling like I'm swept away from it. And, mm -hmm. and it's a similar thing in writing. I can, write, um, I can write a scene and by doing that, both feel it and also know that I'm the one writing it. So it's that same like... Um, another paradox of like feeling, but not feeling it, but not being it, but yet letting myself be it so thoroughly that there's nothing else. There's no fighting it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, it, well, I'm going to layer this on. I don't want to project this onto mm -hmm. your experience, but what I often feel at that point then is that when I feel it so thoroughly, that's the reclamation. That's yeah. the empowerment yeah. piece. I can start by glancing at it and then I can really look at it and then mm -hmm. I can really inhabit it. And the reason I can is because I can come out. Mm -hmm. I have a, a kind of skillfulness about that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can really relate to what, what you're saying. Um, Sarah, I have learned so much from you <laughs> just about myself and about life. You know, there, I, I think of when we, we first met, both working at a caterer and kind of event <laughs> production thing. And there were two things that really stood out for me that kind of kept coming up in this book. So the first one was, uh, I remember you are the first woman I ever encountered who said, I don't want to have children. Hmm. And I, I remember just kind of like, the, I found that quite an arresting thought that you would have a preference that was different, <laughs> you know, like I was like, what? And, and I just remember thinking that was so radical and so cool. Cause we were like 21 or right. 22, something like that, right. like very young. And I just remember you were like, nope. And just like really super cash, like, nope, that's not for me. And I was like, whoa, this person is so um, self-possessed. Self you know, I thought that was so cool. And then I remember it might've been right around that same time. And, um, you started going by the name Lucy. 
Mm-hmm. which is because your middle name is Lucille. <laughs> and I remember you saying, actually, I'm, I'm going by Lucy now. And I was like, whoa, that's going to be um, like, that's going to be hard. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to do that. So like, maybe I'll just keep calling you Sarah. And I remember you going, yeah, could you try? <laughs> you were like, yeah, how about you try? And I was like, oh, okay. And, and, and it's like my first foray into, no, that, that's not my preferred pronoun, or I'm going by a different name now. You know, like this is like in the 90s, having somebody be like, yeah, no, that's not my preference. I would like, you know, and then eventually it became Sarah again, and that was all cool too. But I did call you Lucy yeah. for a whole bunch of years there, the, the sort of little yeah, even hearing it, you know, it's so cool hearing you say my name, just hearing Lucy in your voice just brings, whew, shoot, I shot right back. It brings me right back to the, that time. Totally. I, I, yeah. I have your chat book, This Cake is for the Party, yeah. that I'm pretty sure at the time you were going by Lucy or maybe I was. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I was. So cool. I wanted to also ask you, so that short story that you were referring to about Lillian making the cake, does that one appear in This Cake is for the Party, your collection of short stories that was yes. Giller Prize nominated? It was Giller Prize nominated and the story is called Go Mantura. And it's, yeah, it's all about Lillian um, trying to sell this product, this nutritional product to her friend, to her, fr- this quote, nutritional product to her quote, right. friends. <laughs> That's right. You've got a bunch of really good short stories in there that also, there's also the one with the, that's not the same one where the people are all there for the, um, medical experiment or like locked yeah, in the same book. Oh, yeah. that was the same one, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So take if- a weird drug. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so good. I'm going to go back and reread Go Manchura because um, I, I want more of these characters and I want more of Yumi and, um, I, and I'm just totally, I was so delighted reading this book, like start to finish. I was a huge smile on my face because it is the feeling of being seen and a feeling of recognition, even the parts that are totally not me, they were totally my clients. There, there's like nothing said in this book that is hyperbole. This is all very sincere. <laughs> you know, in the moment, it's very sincere. And uh, I found it totally delightful and just an excellent piece of journalism and just a slice of life, 2016 internet marketing in the spirituality scene. <laughs> Thank you for this work, Sarah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. You asked me the best questions. Thank you. <laughs> I loved this conversation. Me too. Oh my, what more can I say other than buy the book? Radiant Shimmering Light comes out in Canada on May 8th, published by HarperCollins, and it will be released later on in the fall in the U.S., but you can pre-order it online now at Amazon.com. And remember to leave a review there after you've read it. Let us know what you think. Was it relatable? What was it like for you as a reader? Did you like these characters? Why or why not? Personally, I would like to read more about the evolution of some of these characters, especially my favorite, Yumi. Thank you very much to our listeners today in Kanyan Kahaka territory, commonly called Mohawk territory, which Sarah briefly mentioned in this interview. Uh, that territory flows through the Canada-U.S. border through Ontario and New York State. Haichka from Lekwungen territory. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to listen today. Finally, it's getting on time to decide. Are you coming with me on Quest this year? We'll spend 12 days together in the mountains learning ceremony and ritual. And guess what? Sarah's key plot element, the forest sanctuary ritual. Yeah, that's something we actually do. It's not called that. It's kind of a bit heavier than that, but it's a real thing. And it's so magical, it's found its way into a best-selling novel. Mark my words, it's powerful stuff. 
and it seems to want to find a larger audience. I'm telling you, this is going to be a best-selling novel. So if you hear the call and you want to join us in the forest, you can learn all about Quest and place your deposit on my website, carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.